Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. She is back. Second week that we get to mix it up. And today, Dr. Miller, who is a board-certified veterinary dermatologist from Cornell University, is here to talk about other large animals. So we're going to go over pigs, cows, sheep, goats. So you heard her talk last week about horses, and I was so thrilled she agreed to cover some more topics for us in dermatology. We really hope you enjoy listening to Dr. Julia Miller. All right. Welcome back to the Derm Podcast and welcome back, Dr. Miller. Julia Miller is coming back to give us um, some large animal love. So this is definitely where um, I would have to pull back from my eight-year board memory because I'm going to self-admittedly say I have not managed any cows or pigs. I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I just haven't been asked to manage them. So um, this is going to be kind of self-serving because I'm going to learn a lot from you and probably not to not able to contribute that much. Um, <laughs> but I know that you have some experience with this and I'm very excited to hear what you have to say. Um, so I want to start with cows because, you know, cows are cute you know, cows have a lot of purposes. Um, and so I think that's probably one of the more common things. I think of the weird pictures I saw of cow dermatology when I was studying for boards. So can you kind of just give that overview of maybe some of the more common things, if you were going to see a cow as a dermatologist, what you'd see? Oh yeah. The, the nice thing about working at Cornell is that, you know, we definitely get to see all the species that walk through. And another thing that's happening a lot is that pet farm animals have become a very big thing. There's also a lot of sanctuaries around here. So we get to see some cool derm stuff that maybe wouldn't have been referred before. Um, But if you're talking about kind of the normal things you're going to see in a cow, you know, when I teach the students about the top five, number one, two, and three is ringworm. It's it's dermatophytosis is one, two, and three, right? Um, And trichophyte and varicosum is usually their most common ringworm that they get. And the special things about cattle ringworm are kind of a, a couple fold. One is it usually affects the younger ones, right? So we see it a lot in the heifers because the poor heifers immune system is just not up to par yet. So that's super common. The other reason the heifers get it is, I don't know how many, I don't know if you've been around heifers recently, they're very friendly. They like to canoodle with each other, spread their infectious communicable diseases to one another. So that's another reason why you tend to see it a lot in the heifer pen. Um, and then you'll also see it in horse or I'm sorry, in cattle that are, are not doing well clinically too. So there are some that, some that we see, um, that are rescues that haven't had good nutrition and things like that. And that's why we see the ringworm in them. And the cool thing clinically about ringworm and cattle, it's so beautiful to see. I love looking at it because, you know, when we think about dogs and cats, we think of sort of the annular alopecia, a little bit of scale, Cattle, it's like the, the thickest hyperkeratotic scale that you've ever seen. I mean, it'll stand off of the skin, you know, almost an inch sometimes. It'll have these crazy, crazy thickened gray crusts on it. And you almost look at it and go, that can't be ringworm. That's got to be some other weird keratinization defect or something. But that's just what cattle do with their ringworm. They get these beautiful thickened crusts. Um, and they tend to get it much more on their face and their neck. Um, and so that's usually uh, what we see probably as the number one thing. 
I also see some dermatophilosis. They can get rain rot too, uh, like any other creature. You see that more in sort of the beef cattle because they're usually outdoor housed more so than our dairy cattle. But I have seen it in some dairy cattle that are pasture grazed outside as well. Same kind of presentation as a horse, dorsal, paintbrush crust, you know, and, and same kind of treatment, right? Topicals really work very well for these guys, but clean and dry and good management. And then by the way, treatment for the ringworm in cattle is really getting to the root of the problem. So if it does have health problems, solve those. Topicals also works super well. Systemic antifungals in cattle legally, not, not so easy to do. Yeah. Um, and if you have it in the heifer pen, they're going to grow out of it, to be honest with you. It just kind of looks unsightly, but they will grow out of it. Um, so there's not a lot of treatments that you actually normally have to do. And then the other thing I see in cattle, I guess sort of regularly, I'll see Coryoptes mites, and that can be a back-end mite on cattle. It likes to affect the hind limbs and then also the udder and then the tail folds. So when I'm thinking about Coryoptes, which will become a theme as we talk about other species, Coryoptes in large animal, I always think of bottom up and back end first. And so if you're seeing sort of erythematous, uh, itchy lesions that are affecting multiple cattle, distal limb, udder fold, tail fold, I'm thinking Coryoptes as well. Wow. That's really interesting. Mites are always awesome to find in anything, right? Cause you're like, yeah, we cure it. it. Excellent. Yes. Perfect. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel like when I think back to, you know, studying and even looking at, um, some stuff getting ready for this, like, let me remind myself about what I used to know happened more commonly in cows and pigs. Um, do you feel like you see a lot of viral stuff like papillomas, things like that? I mean, it's out there. Do I see a lot of it? No, you'll, you'll tend to see it in sort of herds, right? There'll be a herd that is a problem with viral papillomas. Uh, and then that will usually pop up every year for that same herd. And you can make autologous vaccines for different papilloma things out there in cattle now, which is really nice, but that just like most other species tends to be self-limiting to the young creatures stays on the face and the neck for the most part. Uh, do I see it commonly? I don't, but maybe I don't see it because, you know, ranchers and farmers aren't really doing much about it because it is such a self-limiting disease. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean that there's always things, even as dermatologists, like, so what I always tell, um, veterinarians is I have never diagnosed otodectes. Yeah. Like, wow. Personally. Right. Yeah, because yeah. I, I went straight through. So I did my internship, went to residency, derm did a dermatologist. I have so much respect for GPs, even thinking mm -hmm. about like, the year I did an internship. I was like, gosh, like having to know everything. Um, but they just, they always catch it. Right. Yeah. Like, so like, it's such a, you know, even some dermatophytes in cats, I probably don't see that much compared to GPs because they kept like very good at diagnosing. It. It's very common. So it is sometimes interesting to see the things that might be common, but us as specialists, we don't really see that often because they are appropriately diagnosed all the time or pretty easy. Um, like mites, you know, great kill them. They're, they're done. So that's always yeah. a good thing. And like you mentioned, I mean, it's just like a pet. You see a tiny little papilloma on the lip of a dog, like, especially if it's a young dog, you're like, meh, you'll grow out of it. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily have to get excited and treat every little thing that you see. Mm -hmm. Um, so as we were kind of talking about filming this episode, something else that you mentioned, cause we were talking about, well, what species are we going to cover are piggies and that yeah. you actually are noticing a lot more pet pigs and have been seeing more pigs. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did go to undergrad in Iowa. So mm -hmm. I did, I went around and saw a lot of pigs back in the day but I have not dealt with one in a really long time. So tell me some of the common things that you see with pig dermatology. Yeah, it's so it's so different, right? Like when we study for navly or whatever, you're thinking erysipelothrix, yep. greasy pig, like all those things. 
and you don't see those in pet pigs. Thank God, to be honest with you. Um, I'm seeing a very different set of dermatologic diseases in pet pigs. Um, number one thing I probably see is actually just really flaky hyperkeratotic skin from poor nutrition that, and not even necessarily poor nutrition. It's actually just like, you know, they make pig pellets and they're decently balanced, but they're not great. And remember when you're dealing with a pig, pigs and people, Pigs are like people. People are like pigs. You decide how you want that to go. But um, we're actually very similar in many ways in the way our skin is and the way we need things to balance for nutrition. And I found that just feeding diets of pig pellets can absolutely leave them deficient and especially important things like zinc. Zinc is so important for normal keratinization and it really shows in pigs. So I find if I get a pig that comes into me and it's kind of overall too scaly skin is a little bit dry. There's a couple of really nice pig supplements out there. Zinpro makes one and then do more makes a, a skin and coat supplement for pigs. And I have been putting my pet pigs on that. And what a turnaround I see in just the quality of their skin. Uh, it's not nearly as, as dry and flaky as before, Topical products also really help because we think about in the winter time, right? Like I moisturize my face every day, or I would like look like a dry dragon. And it's the same kind of thing happens for piggies, especially pet piggies that are living in our homes because our homes are dry usually in the winter time. So that same humidity problem affects them. So sure, you can put a humidifier in your house. That's lovely. Um, but I really also like topicals for piggies in that sense. And I like my favorite human ones. So Skin So Soft makes a really nice piggy topical. Um, there's a couple other companies that make specific pig lotions, which are very nice. Oh, oh yeah. Fancy. Yeah, the Didn't oh, yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, Weaver makes one. Um, what I don't recommend is just like the dip, the coat, the pig in coconut oil. I see that all the time. I know from a mile away when it's a coconut oil pig, because to me, that's a little too greasy. I'm not saying coconut oil couldn't be a, a part of the moisturizer you're using, but just solid coconut oil rubbed all over. I've seen some of those pigs get actually a little bit too greasy skinned from that. So absolutely good nutrition and dry skin managed with topical things. I see all the time. I see a surprising amount of scabies in pet pigs, which is reportable in some states. So be aware of that. Um, but I, I don't know exactly why I'm seeing it all the time, but I am. So a little vitamin I or ivermectin deficiency. Um, it can be hard to diagnose. Sometimes you can do a skin scrape and you find it, but there are many times that we don't find it on skin scrape, just like a dog. Um, and I treat them with ivermectin, you know, just as, as, a, um, a trial period. And when their itch goes away, then I know that that was the issue. So I do see a fair bit of scabies as well. And then the other thing I see a lot of, well, A, they get a lot of tumors. There's no doubt about that. There's a lot of lumpy bumpies on pigs. Um, but then I also, they'll get like those face fold sort of brown debris or brown discharge right around their eye and their face fold. And I kind of think of that as like the bulldogs, right? Pigs are not that different than bulldogs. So they get a little yeast overgrowth, a little bacteria overgrowth. So pick your favorite bulldog face fold product, you know, whether you like the Malacat wipes or whatever you like for that piggies like bulldogs, maybe just need a little bit of, uh, you know, face fold washing and things like that. So, uh, those products work really well. And whenever I'm thinking about managing a pig derm disease, I think of their skin, like people's skin. I think that's one thing to keep in, in mind there. Um, and then I also really hearken back to their environment and their nutrition, I think plays a big role. Um, one thinking of them as a bulldog, which is kind of funny. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, they're both kind of snorty. They're loud. I love uh, yeah. I love yeah. I, yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I, I do. I had a bulldog patient yesterday where I was like, you're such like, you have such a, like, you know, she actually could breathe. And I was like, oh, that's so lovely. Like you're, I'm not just wondering if you're going to make it through our appointment, like gasping for air. Right. Um, but one thing I think I remember and correct me if I'm wrong, that pigs 
I'm, I guess anything could really get, but can happen a little more commonly in pigs too, is like oral hematomas. Is that something that you mm-hmm. see in pet pigs or is that more not in pet pig situations? For pet pig ear stuff, I don't see as much oral hematomas. I think of that more with production piggies because they bite on each other's ears because sure. production piggies are very friendly and nosy and bored, to be honest with you. Um, so they'll chew each other's tails and they will bite each other's ears more. But I do sometimes see otitis media in the pet pig still. Oh. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And a pig ear canal to remind everybody. Well, I don't know if you know, but like they're T they're L shaped and they are bone. And let me tell you right now, don't even bring an otoscope near that. Ear I was canal. just going to ask can you can get, get one down. No, 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 you ain't, ain't I've tried. I've tried so many Did times. You take like I, a little endoscope, like a. We've so thought about that. So I've helped with an elephant ear before, mm-hmm. and they are very small ear canals with like a mm-hmm. sphincter on it, and like you do like a little, like tiny, super skinny endoscope. Yeah. We thought about that. If you do it, let me know. Oh yeah. No, I would love to pig. The pig ear canals are so narrow that we would need almost like for a cystoscopy kind of a thing. We definitely talked about that. And actually there was a pig at Cornell that got a VBO for cron and a, she's a big pig. She like came out to us from Wisconsin Wow, and she got a ventral bulla osteotomy for chronic otitis media, which I was like, God bless. I mean, surgeons, holy moly, are incredible people, but I definitely do see otitis media. And of course, oral antibiotics are the best way to treat otitis media in pigs. And you want to target respiratory pathogens for the pigs when you're thinking about what antibiotic you might want to choose. So whatever works with the legalities, cause a pig is still technically a food animal, right? So you need to think about that. But the other thing I'll throw out there about pig ears is I've seen pig ears be not mismanaged, but people get too excited about treating yeast in their ears. I have found from a little mini pilot study of my own, I swab pig ears all the time and healthy pigs that have no ear problems. They are so full of yeast. It's not even funny. So I think that most it's almost like a normal flora, I think, for piggies to have this thick sort of brown discharge and a lot of yeast in it. So I don't recommend you go chucking Otamax down those pig ear canals and things like that. Know that if you see a piggy, if it's not clinical for otitis externa, don't just go swabbing pig ears and treat the yeast because I actually think it's kind of a normal thing to see. Unless you're doing a pilot study. Well, of course. That's what I <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the old like debate on some of those cat breeds, right? Like sphinxes and Devorex. You're like, how much is too much? Like, cause they just kind of naturally have that flora. That's just a little bit different. And so that's really interesting to know. I, I did not know. I did not remember. Or if I did, I totally escaped it out of my head about pig ears being so hard. And so that's really interesting. Um, I wouldn't have guessed that. That's pretty, yeah, interesting. Yeah. they're pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Pigs are cool. I like pigs. Yeah, I uh, I don't know if I could get away with having a pet pig, but if I had maybe I more lands, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no. Well, that's what you need is three pitties and a, a pet pig running around. My dogs are kind of pig. Like anyway, I call yes. them all the piggies. So, you know, I think a pig would fit in perfectly. It would right. just be like part of the fam. You well, know? you said before we got on, you didn't want a fourth dog. You did not say you weren't going to get a pig. So that's true. You're correct. <laughs> you are correct. I'm leaving that possibility open. See what happens. <laughs> There's always a loophole. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another thing you mentioned that actually you can kind of see a little bit more often, because you're talking about sheep and goats, and you said actually see a lot more goats or have there's more recognition of a lot of their derm diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do remember when you were kind of chatting about pemphigus zinc, I remember those being things that kind of popped in my head from learning about goat dermatology. So walk me through a little bit about what goats can show you, because I actually think goats are pretty cool. Goats are really cool. And we definitely see a fair number of goat patients. Um, and it's interesting because like, I, 
yes, large animals can get autoimmune disease, right? Horses can get pemphigus. I'm yep. sure cattle can too, but we do, we, it's really rare. Like when I, you know, I can talk to dermatologists who've practiced 40 years and they can count on one hand, the number of horses with pemphigus they've seen. I am into many goats now that I've heard of and have actually seen with my own eyeballs that have pemphigus. Wow. Um, so I think, and we actually had a goat that had erythema multiforme here, which had never been reported before. Yeah. Wow. So cool. It's weird. Goat immune systems are a little bit funky, which I find very cool. Um, so the moral of that story, I think is if you have a goat with funky skin, biopsying it is absolutely something that should be on your list of things to do because it could be, could be just run of the mill dermatophilosis or Coreoptes or other things we see in the goaties, but it could be something strange and autoimmune. And the other tidbit there is that a lot of the goat pemphigus cases that I've read about and seen actually personally and taken consults for happen in young goats. So sometimes this is in goats as young as like one or two months old. So like almost kids, like really quite young. Wow. So I don't know exactly what the deal is with that, whether there's some form of trigger that's causing it, uh, but definitely think about autoimmune disease in goaties. And then we see a fair bit of zinc responsive dermatosis in them. And then Coryoptes back to when we were talking about the cattle with Coryoptes, I see a lot of Coryoptes and a ton of lice in goats, man. If there's a goat without lice, like show it to me because <laughs> I feel like unless you're doing a lot of preventative, if you have a herd of goats, you got lice, you know, uh, and you may, you may also have Coryoptes. I see that all the time. So what do you do for lice? So for Ultra Boss, back to that lovely product we talked Ultra about. Ultra Boss, it's yes. back. It made it's, its way uh, in. Yeah. If you so if you have chewing lice, you want to use a topical, right? We always think about whenever I talk about ectoparasites, it's like where does it live and what does it eat, and that tells me how I can find it and how I can kill it. So if it's going to be a chewing louse, I want to go for topical stuff for killing it. And then if they have a sucking louse, systemics, ivermectin, moxidectin, things like that work really well to kill uh, the sucking lice. So if you can get your little pieces of tape or whatever, because remember lice are visible to the naked eye, but they're fast movers. And same thing with Coryoptes. Coryoptes will walk right off of your slide. So whatever samples you collect for goats, you want to make sure that they're in an airtight container or you've got it taped or whatever you need to do to keep those little bugs contained so that they just don't walk off of your sample. Um, but I love ultra boss. It's, it's magical stuff. Yeah. Ultra boss. I never knew it'd make it way its way into two episodes of the podcast. Now I know that's my, that'll be my limit. If I get a consult, what can I do for this? <laughs> On a, on a horse or farm animal. I've heard of Ultra Boss. Seems <laughs> yes. like it could do just about anything. <laughs> hey, it's licensed for all of them. So you're in a good place. Perfect. I, I like a good catch all. That works for me. I yeah. feel like that's like Isox Hazlines now and, you know, dogs and cats. You're like, mm -hmm. I mean, I can't even tell you the last time I used ivermectin for really mm -hmm. anything anymore, like in small animals. So it's nice to have those. Um, and then just really briefly, because I know you mentioned that there's not a ton that we see in sheep if you were going to think about a couple of things that sheep can get, it's nice to know that you don't feel like it's as common, um, mm -hmm. to maybe see some of the issues that we see in these other animals we already talked about. If mm -hmm. you were going to see a sheep, I'm guessing like mange, kind of the same things we can see in other species. Yeah. Coryoptes for sure. And then, you know, ORF is another thing when yep. they sort of get all of the facial stuff with the parapox virus. So ORF is definitely something we do see in the sheepies fly strike when they're out in pasture, but the sheep are usually largely fairly protected because most things can't really go through the wool. The wool yep. is just so darn protected in them that if you are doing a good physical exam, though, on a sheep, make sure you look at the haired skin um, because that gets missed a lot of times. So do make sure that you look at the haired skin really thoroughly and by the udder. 
the udder is a really good area that gets missed in a lot of species. But let me tell you, if it has an udder, you should be looking at it thoroughly. And then also really up in like the udder folds and the crevices, because that's where a lot of like bugs can hide. And um, dermatophilosis can happen in sheepies too, but it's more of, again, a muzzle disease. Same thing with goats. Rain rot for me in goats doesn't affect the top line as much as it does in horses and cattle. It tends to be sort of more of a pustular disease that I find on the mouth um, and the muzzle area, maybe periocular as well as I can see it in the udder area. So dermatophilosis presents a little differently, um, but I see that in sheep too, that dermatophilosis can do that. Yeah, it's really, well, it goes back. You're talking about like the udder and, and folds and stuff like that. Like, you know, go back to bulldogs. Yep. Anytime there is something that an area that can be frictional, you know, yeah. no matter what it is, uh, folds, udders, you know, even like intertrigo, like you look at abdominal folds, things like that. Thinking back to horses last week, like groin, mm -hmm. anything that can have a fold that can rub on each other can be free game to get some of those secondary infections and, and have problems. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I just have to again, say, thank you. Thank you for taking the time, Dr. Miller, to kind of talk about all of this. Um, some really interesting stuff that we haven't talked about on the podcast today. So that was really exciting. Um, and we just look forward to hopefully seeing each other in New Orleans. If we can make this derm meeting happen after not having it for the last two years, let's cross our fingers on that. But I really appreciate your time in discussing all of these topics. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Well, wasn't that just so much fun? It's really interesting to see some of the differences, but similarities a lot of these different species can have. I really hope you've enjoyed the last two weeks of the podcast where we've been able to mix it up and do some non-small animal content. Um, it's, I just really find it fascinating and I get to learn a lot because this is not an aspect of dermatology that I actually get to practice that often. So it was very cool to see how excited Julia was about this topic. Um, again, always feel free free to leave a positive review for the podcast as it just helps us reach to more people um, and teach more about the amazing specialty of skin and ear disease.